Good morning. I'm loud. So with it being Halloween, I started looking at a couple of different things. And of course, when you start looking at doing a sermon, you start going this way. And then God says, stop. We're going to go this way. So that's what happened. And it's okay, because that's what he wanted me to do. So he and I had a lot of discussion about it this week, and he was telling me a lot of things about myself. So don't feel bad, okay? We're going to talk about mask. Now, we all wear masks, whether we think we wear a mask or not. And I'm not talking about the cloth or the N95 or the K95 mask that we've been mandated to wear for the past year and a half, right? We're talking about that invisible mask that we put on ourselves to hide. And we all do it at some point and at some time in our life. So how do we know that we're purposely putting a mask on? I struggled with that because I'm thinking, do I personally do that? But the answer was, yes, yes, I do. And you may be telling yourself, no, I don't do that. I am who God created me to be. I'm okay with that. And we are going for it. But we all do it. And here, here's a couple of things I want you to think through. Does your personality change around certain people? Do you wear a certain type of attire or not around certain people? Do you struggle to be the same person you are within these walls as you are outside of these walls? Do you hide deep within yourself to not allow anyone inside to see the real you? Many of us can answer yes to at least one of those. But don't worry, because so can I. And point to be taken, I never match socks. Andrew cannot stand it when I take my shoes off of the office and I have on two different socks. Amber won't even look at me. All right? However... I knew I was doing this message, and I knew I would be standing here, so guys, match socks. Okay? So we all do it. Let me fix my pants or I'll be. So as children, a lot of us went trick-or-treating. We put our mask on. We walked our neighborhood. We collected our candy. We had a good time. And some of us just never outgrew that need to put our mask on. Our masks are not going to be physical. They're not going to be visible to anyone around you, but they're there. And here's the question. Who are you? Who are you really? And sometimes that frustrates even me because who am I? And I believe many of us are struggling with that same person on Sunday mornings that we are throughout the rest of the week. And so wearing that mask makes us content. It keeps us safe. It keeps us normal. But there's only two purposes to wearing a mask. One is to change your identity. At church, we look like Christians. Around non-Christians, you can blend in just fine. So you wear your mask 
to fit in. And like a chameleon, you secure your mask in a place that you want to blend into your surroundings. The second thing is we put a mask on to hide our identity. We don't want people to see the real us. So we put on that mask as a way of hiding who we really are. But here's two truths I want you to hear, and these are not in your little fill-out thing. None of the mask that we wear is remotely close to the person who you really are. And none of the masks that we wear are remotely close to who God created us to be. It took me years to figure that out. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 5. For those of y'all that know, that's Ananias and Sapphira. And it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of that money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Excuse me. You have not lied just to human beings, but you have lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she said, Yes, that's the price. And Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her, inside her, or buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. A little scary. God knows. God knows who he created us to be. So why do we hide that? Why do we hide our uniqueness, our craziness? And I know you're saying... I cannot take off my mask. What will people think if they really knew? If they really knew how odd I really was. If they knew how strange and different I really was. Or if they knew how normal I was. So let me give you some facts about yourself that might make removing the mask a little bit easier. Fact one, and I want you to repeat it after me. I am not perfect. I am not perfect. Isn't that great? I am not perfect. God doesn't expect perfection. Thank goodness, because we would never live up to that. I couldn't, you couldn't, none of us could. He doesn't expect perfection, but he wants 
progression. He wants us to continue moving. And I know it's a shock that we're not perfect. It was a shock to me as well. But we are not perfect. One of the things we're talking about in the kids right now is sin. And sin is ugly. Sin is ugly. And it is embarrassing. And sin is the blemish that we don't want to face. It's the stain on our new shirt that we're trying to cover up. And we don't want anybody else to see it. So what do we do? We hide it. We cover it up. We mask it. Oh, if someone would have just shared that thought with Ananias and his wife, their story could have had a completely different ending. Trying to mask the ugliness of sin. Ananias and Sapphira weren't perfect, but they overcompensated. They did something so generous and wonderful that they were hoping to get recognition and praise. And so they had the scam that would still leave them with some money, but also make them appear holy in the eyes of God. Everyone at church, sin is ugly. And because it's so ugly, many of us try to hide it. We know that we're not perfect, but we try so hard to make it look like we are. I know we think in our head, but do we know that deep in our hearts? Christians across America still have this strange idea that when we walk through those doors on Sunday mornings, we better have it all together. Our hair better be the way it's supposed to be. Our clothes better be clean. Socks probably need to match, okay? But we need to have it all together. And you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us had it together when we walked in the door this morning? I didn't. And I'm preaching today, and I didn't have it all together. But that's what we think. How about this? If we have kids, they better walk, walk into the door and not make a sound. People would come to me and ask me what was wrong with the children. Why are they not running? Why are they not screaming at each other? You better have a smile on your face. And please, if there's an invitation time, you better come to the altar because someone may not see you up here and you need to be up here. Right? We aren't perfect. Mark Iaconelli wrote a book called Messy Spirituality. If you've never read it, it's a pretty, pretty good read. But this is what he had to say. For a period of time, we were lucky to have a housekeeper. And she would come in once a week and dust and vacuum and clean every little thing out of the way in our house. I dreaded the day that she came because my wife and I would spend all morning cleaning the house for the housekeeper. We didn't want the house to be dirty. Or what would the housekeeper think? He continues on. We act the same way with God. We talk our way out of the spiritual life by refusing to come to God as we are. Instead, we decide to wait until we're ready to come as we aren't. We decide that the way we lived yesterday, last week, or last year makes us damaged goods. And that until we start living right, we're not only the kind of material that God is looking for. Some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we aren't choosable. 
that until we clean up the mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. The opposite is true. He wants everything to do with us at our absolute worst. Until we admit that we're a mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. And once we admit how unloving we are, how unattractive we are, how lost we are, Jesus shows up unexpectedly. According to the New Testament, Jesus is attracted to the unattractable. He prefers the lost ones over the found ones, the losers over the winners, the broken instead of the whole, and the messy instead of the unmessy, the crippled instead of the non-crippled. You may not say with your mouth that you are a sinner, but with your actions and your attitudes, you do. You are not perfect. Take off your mask. Fact number two. Won't you repeat this one? I do not have all the answers. I do not have all the answers. We don't, do we, Gabe? We don't have all the answers. And it's okay to admit you need help. It's okay not to have it all together. This is what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Lean on God. When you're struggling and life is tough, leaning on our own strength, leaning on our own knowledge, leaning on pretending that everything is okay, we can't. We have to lean on the Lord. God is big. And compared to the universe, compared to the things even in this world, we are so small. And it's okay. When I was at the hospital and we would teach students, I would love for a student to answer a question with, I don't know. I would much rather you not know than guess and hurt somebody. For my kids, I would rather them say, I don't know, than to think they have it and not really have it. It's the same way with God. When we don't know, we know who knows, and we know where to go to get that help. We're also told not to lean on our own, or lean, stop. We need to lean on God's provisions. God is the God who provides. And when life seems to be coming unraveled, you need to get help. And help can come in various shapes and forms. Some of us turn to family and friends, our Sunday school teachers, our youth pastors, our elders, our counselors, our pastors, but your help should always be based on God's word and what God is speaking to you about. So take off the mask that says, I know it all and I have it all figured out. Life is simple. I have it managed. And realize that you do not have all the answers. But here's the encouraging thing. You know the one who does. And you know the one who does have it all figured out. Fact number three. Once again, we're going to repeat it. You aren't like anyone else. We're not like anyone else. We want to wear a mask to fit in. 
That's the one a lot of us wear. So we have this idea about what a Christian is supposed to look like, and we put on that Christian mask. But guess what? You're unique. None of us in this room are at the same place spirituality-wise as the person sitting beside of them. We're all at different places, and we're all unique. How boring would it be if we all looked the same, if we all acted the same, if we all liked the same movies or the same food or the same footwear or the same hairstyle? God made us unique for a reason. So let me ask you, what motivated Ananias and Sapphira to come up with the scheme that they did? To find out, we have to go back to Acts 4, 30, 32 through 37. Here's what it says. All of the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Excuse me. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had a need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing, or the first reason, was the Barnabas effect. Barnabas just sold some land and gave all the money from the land to the church. And they saw how much praise and attention Barnabas was receiving, and they wanted that too. So they invented this scheme to look just like Barnabas. The problem was they weren't Barnabas. And no matter how hard they tried, they were never going to be Barnabas. The second thing is the danger of imitation. There comes a real danger in imitating someone's actions when you haven't imitated Jesus' heart. You get counterfeit Christianity. You go through the motions without really meaning it. Jesus makes it plain that those who just go go through the motions of being holy just to be recognized by men have already received their reward in full. Have you ever tried to imitate the spiritual actions of someone else? How'd that work out? Some of us have been there. Some of of us in this room have done it. We can hide behind the mask and we can look like the best Christian that walked the face of the earth. But if it is not sincere, if we're not imitating Jesus, then it's not going to work. Realize that who you are is not like anyone else. So stop trying to be like everybody else. We are all different spiritual levels, and some of us are more mature than others. If you're not as far along in your faith as someone else, that's okay. Faith takes time to grow. Take off your mask and be you. And to those who are more spiritually mature, Give a little bit of grace to those of us that may not be quite as far along. Because we will be there one day. And I hope that we give the same grace to the younger folk as y'all give us. Fact number four. This is probably one of my favorites. 
We are an unfinished product. Say it after me. Bella was going to say it, and then she noticed nobody else was speaking, and she's like, we are an unfinished product. That's right. We are unfinished. So take off your mask. It's okay. He is still working. We know God's not finished making you to the person he wants you to be. If we were to conduct a one-on-one interview with everyone in here, here is what I would want to ask you. Are you satisfied with your spiritual life? Coincidentally, I had to answer that question last week in class, and it caught me off guard. I'm in the master's program, and we were talking basics. And I was like, what exactly is our professor looking for? And as I thought through it, and as I began to type, it was only like three to 500 words. It wasn't a lot. And I know some of you are thinking three to 500 words, goodness. But when you start getting into the thousands, 500 words ain't nothing. And so I started typing. And I'm not satisfied where I am spiritually. And that shocked me. And it scared me a little bit. Am I not where I'm supposed to be? Am I not where God has led me to be? Why am I feeling like this? But then I I came to the realization that God is still working. And then I had to sing the song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Coincidentally, that song was written in the 70s. I had to look it up. But that was the song that came to my head. So I emailed my professor and I was like, I sang this song while I was doing the assignment. And he emailed me back and he goes, I was singing the song when I gave you the assignment. So he is still working. And just because we're not content in our spirituality right now, doesn't mean we're still not on that prog- the progression that God has us on. I would hope that I'm never content with where I am and that I'm always wanting more. But the longer we keep our I'm a good Christian mask on, the harder it is for us to see that and for us to work through that. So I want you to think through that. Are you satisfied with your spiritual growth? Have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of you are like me and you would say, nope, I'm not. And that's okay. Because you understand that becoming Christ-like is a never-ending journey. So go on, take it off, the mask you're wearing. Show us how far you've come. But show us how far you have to go. Show us the real you. You are a masterpiece in the making. And the Bible has so much to say about being unfinished. Philippians 1.6, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. You're not done yet. You're not quite baked all the way through. You're still gooey in the middle. 
but give us some time and you will become exactly who he made you to be. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. No matter how much we've grown, we still need to grow more. No matter how mature we are, we never stop maturing. Thank goodness, because there are days I think never going to get there. And no matter how unspiritual we are, as long as we want to grow more, Jesus will show up in the life of even the messiest of disciples. Jesus meets us where we are. But Jesus needs us to understand where we are. And as we continue to wear masks for whatever reason, whether it's to protect ourselves, whether it's to hide the real us, whether it's so nobody knows that we never match socks, or that we don't like to brush our hair, or that maybe we're wearing a shirt that hasn't been washed in four weeks. I don't know, okay? Maybe the sin is just so out of control that we don't know where to start. But we have to take the mask off because there are people in this room that are ready to step in beside of you, take your arm and walk with you wherever you need to go. So here's what I want to end with. And I'm going to try to do it without crying. But I haven't done it yet, so we're going to see how it goes. This is also from the book, um, Messy Spirituality. And this one hit. Every month, the youth group at River Road Church visited the Holcomb Manor, a local nursing home, to hold church services for the residents. Daryl, a reluctant youth group volunteer, did not like nursing homes. Some of us can relate. For a long time, he avoided it altogether. But when a flu epidemic depleted the group of sponsors, Daryl agreed to help with the next month's service, as long as he did not have to be a part of the program or the service itself. So during the service, Daryl felt awkward and out of place. He leaned against the back wall between two residents in wheelchairs. And just as the service finished, and Daryl was thinking about making that quick exit, someone grabbed his hand. Startled, he looked down and saw a very old and frail and obviously lonely man in a wheelchair. What could Daryl do? Behold the man's hand. The man's mouth hung open and his face held no expression. And Daryl doubted whether he could hear or see anything. As everyone began to leave, Daryl realized he didn't want to leave the old man. And Daryl had been left too many times in his own life. Caught somewhere off guard by his feelings, Daryl leaned over and whispered, um, I'm sorry that we got to leave now, but I'll be back, I promise. Without warning, the man squeezed Daryl's hand and let go. And as Daryl's eyes filled with tears, he grabbed his stuff and he started to leave. Inexplicably, he heard himself say to the old man, I love you. And he thought, where did that come from? What is wrong with me? And Dale returned the next month and the next month after that. And each time it was the same. Daryl would stand in the back 
Oliver would grab his hand. Daryl would say he had to leave. Oliver would squeeze his hand, and Daryl would softly say, I love you, Mr. Leek. And as the months went on, about a week before the nursing home service, Daryl would find himself looking forward to visiting his old friend. On Daryl's sixth visit, the service started, but Oliver still hadn't been wheeled out. Daryl didn't feel too concerned at first because it often took the nurses a long time to wheel everybody out. But halfway into the service, Daryl became alarmed, and he went to the, the head nurse, and he goes, um, I don't see Mr. Leek here today. Is he okay? The nurse asked Daryl to follow her and led him down to room 27, which was Mr. Leek's room. Oliver lay in bed, and his eyes were closed, his breathing uneven and labored. At 40... Daryl had never seen someone dying, but he knew that Oliver was near death. Slowly, he walked to the side of the bed and grabbed Oliver's hand. And when Oliver didn't respond, tears filled Daryl's eyes. He knew he might never see Oliver again, and he had so much that he wanted to say. But the words just wouldn't come. He stayed with Oliver for about an hour, then the youth director gently interrupted to, to say they were leaving. Daryl stood and squeezed Mr. Leek's hand for the last time. I'm sorry, Oliver, I have to go. I love you. And as he unclasped his hand, he failed to squeeze. Mr. Leek had responded. He had squeezed Daryl's hand, and the tears were unstoppable now. And Daryl stumbled through the door, trying to regain his composure. A young woman was standing at the door. Daryl almost bumped into her. I'm sorry, he said, I didn't see you. She said, it's all right. I've been waiting to see you. I'm Oliver's granddaughter. He's dying, you know, she said. Yes, I know, Daryl said. I wanted to meet you, she said. When the doctor said he was dying, I came immediately. We've always been very close, and they said he couldn't talk, but he's been talking to me. Not much. But I know what he's saying. And last night he woke up. His eyes were bright and alert. He looked straight into my eyes and he said, Please say goodbye to Jesus for me. He laid back down and he closed his eyes. He caught me off guard. And as soon as I gathered my composure, I whispered to him, Grandpa, I don't need to say goodbye to Jesus. You're going to be with him soon, and you can tell him hello. Grandpa struggled to open his eyes again. This time, his face lit up with a smile. And he said, as clearly as I'm talking to you, I know. But Jesus comes to see me every month, and he might not know that I've gone. He closed his eyes, and he hasn't spoke since. I told the nurse what he said, and she told me about you coming every month holding Grandpa's hand. And I wanted to thank you for him. For me, and well, I never thought of Jesus as being a chubby and bald as you, but I imagine that Jesus is very glad you have, <laughs> that you be mistaken for him. I know Grandpa is, so thank you. Oliver Lee died peacefully the next morning. If a reluctant follower like Daryl can be mistaken for Jesus, maybe you and I can be too. Sometimes we have to remove our mask 
to be exactly who God is forming us to be in that exact moment in time. See, I've been where Daryl was. When the pandemic hit and everything shut down, so did the hospitals. So did the nursing homes. And it wasn't anything to spend time on your break before you came in, before you left in the evening, to just, to just go sit with people and just talk. Did we really feel like it at the time? No, we were tired. We were tired. But it was what we were called to do. And sometimes we have to take that mask off and show our vulnerability, our insecurities. And you know what? We don't got it together. I don't know any more about it than you do. But that is the awesome thing that Jesus is still walking with us. He sees and understands our doubts. He understands when the words just won't come. And he understands when our faith wobbles. He is simply asking us to trust him and the process that he is doing within us. As Rachel comes to join me, if she can, here's what I want to leave you with. Here's what I want to ask you this morning, and here's what I want you to think through as Rachel and I close the service. Who are you? Who has God created you to be? We come to a time of decision. Will you decide today to take the mask off, to put them down, and be exactly who God created you to be?
with you the fact that God is bigger than we think he, he is. He can handle our unbelief. He can handle our faith in movement and our faith in work in progress. Remember Trunk or Treat tonight and we will see you later. Have a good day and a week. <laughs>